listening to Treasuring Scripture, a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church, Roswell, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at LebanonBaptist.org. I hope, uh, I hope you enjoyed singing that particular song this morning. Uh, I hope that that is an expression of your faith. Um, the church, as many of you know, whenever we uh, welcome people here, we say, welcome to a gathering of Lebanon Baptist Church. The church is not a building. The church is the people. And the, the real church are those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And one day, as we just sang about, we're going to be reunited with him. And I particularly, this morning as I was singing that song, that little phrase, no more anxious thoughts. I mean, have you had some anxious thoughts? I'm looking forward to no more anxious thoughts and no more fear. But remember, as we sing that song, okay, as we sing it, it says, when we all get to heaven, that is a song that was written for the church who actually are going to heaven. Not everybody is going to heaven. You have to make Jesus Lord. He has to become your Lord. You will, all of us are going to see Jesus face to face. The Bible says, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. But the important thing is you've made him Lord. And if you've made him Lord, isn't it awesome this morning as you could sing that and look forward to that day? And and I'll tell you this, we're another day closer to it. And I trust that's an expression of your faith uh, and an encouragement to your soul. Turning your Bibles to Philippians 3, the text that Josh read just a few moments ago, and we are going to be examining these few verses. As I often mention to you, when you come here to Lebanon Baptist Church, I do not want you to uh, necessarily hear me. I mean, I don't want you to hear me. I want you to hear what the Bible says. My job as a pastor is to explain to you what God has already said, and God has revealed what he said in his glorious word. And we've been examining it piece by piece, and today we come to a very key uh, section here in the book of Philippians. Let me ask God to help us today as we jump into this. Father, I ask for divine enablement to explain these few verses this morning. And Lord, I ask that you would do spiritual work, that you would illuminate hearts and guide us into truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been over the last number of weeks, we have all watched the citizens of the Ukraine under attack. Their land has been overtaken by a tyrant. Of course, you've listened to the Ukrainian president as he has been communicating to the world and particularly to his own citizens on how they are to stand firm in the midst of this onslaught. How does a citizen of the Ukraine live rightly when Russia seems to be taking control and in control? Of course, it's a complex question. I mean, how do I do this? How do I navigate this? Similarly, we as believers in Jesus Christ, we live in a world that is under attack, not by Putin, but by Satan. How do you and I live as followers of Jesus and as citizens of heaven 
In the midst of a secular culture that has been under attack, it has infiltrated really every aspect of society. In this book of Philippians, Paul calls believers to live united or together for the gospel. In fact, we looked a number of weeks ago at one of the key verses in the first chapter. Philippians 1 verse 27, he tells them, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And I explained to you that that little phrase there was only live in a way worthy of a citizen of heaven and the gospel of Christ so that whether, Paul says, whether I come or see you or whether I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. How do you and I do this? We are being on, we are being attacked on every angle by our culture. Well, we do this as Paul laid out to us in Philippians 2, we all as a united church need to adopt the same mindset that was in Jesus 2,000 years ago. That though he was equal with God, he became a servant. He became a man and he humbled himself even to the point of death. That's why God has highly exalted him. We have to do that. And in the book of Philippians, Paul tells them, here's the greatest example, Jesus, but not only him. Let me give you some people who have followed Jesus in this way. And he gave an example of Timothy and another guy by the name of Epaphroditus. And then over the last few sermons that we've been in in Philippians, we've also looked at the example of this guy who wrote the letter under the inspiration of God, the Apostle Paul. And in the section that we come to today in the end of chapter 3, Paul gives now some incredible key exhortations and truths on how you and I are to keep doing this? How are we to keep living as citizens of heaven while we're still in the kingdoms of men? We are not to live in fear. We are not to live in depression or in guilt or in defeat. Lebanon Baptist Church, okay, you here on March the 20th, 2022, we're in a war, but we are to live as citizens of heaven now. This is not simply a physical realm. It's a spiritual realm. And how are we to live? As Francis Schaeffer asked that question, how then are we to live in this type of culture? Well, Philippians 3 tells us how to do that. And let's see what he says first of all. He says this, there is a pattern of living that all of you need to follow. How are we to live as citizens of heaven? There's a pattern of living to follow. And Paul spells it out in verse number 17. He says this, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. So Paul begins by reminding them that they're his brothers and sisters in Christ. All through his writing, what you find is this guy, Paul, he loves his church. He loves the church he's, he's planted, and he wants them to grow. This is the, uh, and, he, and what he does here is he gives two initial commands. 
You'll see at the beginning, he says, join in imitating me. That's command number one. And then command number two is he tells them, and keep your eyes on certain people. So let's look at that first one. He says, join in imitating me. That particular word that underlies that English word, imitate, is only used one time in your New Testament. And it literally means this. The way it's written is, fellow imitators of me become. It's almost like a Yoda phrase, okay? He puts that at, fellow imitators of me, I want you to become. And the idea here could be this. He's basically saying, I want you, if you're going to try to live as citizens of the heaven, I want you to imitate me. What I'm doing And the way I'm living, I want you to imitate me as I imitate what I believe Jesus Christ did when he was on this planet. Now, no doubt, it was challenging to know how to live for Jesus in that pagan culture. You and I think it's hard in Roswell in 2022. Think about a pagan society that they lived in. We live in what some people say like is the buckle of the Bible belt. Paul could tell them, okay, if you're having problems knowing how to live out as citizens of heaven, I want you to look at me as a pattern. One of my commentators said this in reference to it. Although his example is admittedly imperfect, because he says this earlier, it is nevertheless tangible, accessible to the church he had founded. Lebanon Baptist Church, if you're wondering how you are supposed to live in your culture today, isn't it wonderful that God has allowed an example to be inscripturated in your Bible through the Apostle Paul? And through the previous section, he said, okay, you want to know how to live? Let me tell you how I live and how I think and what my passions are. And I want you to mimic me. I want you to do it just like I had done it. And and what you find in those verses is this. We find that Paul demonstrated an example of this. He renounced his own, you could say, righteousness. He knew that there was nothing that he could do to bring about his own righteousness. And he depended by faith on Jesus and his righteousness That's what he shows, at least initially through his example. He knew that he could not show up at the gates of heaven with the currency of his own righteousness. Because your own good, your own righteous living that you think you have, if you show up at heaven with your own righteousness, let me tell you, it's not accepted. It's declined. There is only one righteousness that you can have in order to get eternity in heaven. And that is a righteousness that is only provided through Jesus Christ. And it is credited to your account by faith. Where you turn from yourself and you depend on Jesus. And when Paul says, hey all of you, I want you to imitate me. He does want you to imitate him in reference to your faith in Christ. But not only that, he also tells them to imitate him when he expresses how he lived his life from that point on, passionately pursuing 
to know Jesus better and to look like Jesus more perfectly. I want my actions and my attitudes. I want the way I interact with people. I want it to just reflect Jesus. I want it to look like Christ. And so when Paul tells these, this church, okay, I know you're under bombardment. I know things are hard. But how do you live like citizens of heaven? Look at me. Look at me. And do what I'm doing. I'm turning my back on my own righteousness. And I'm seeking through faith to know Christ better and to live like him. He says, follow me. Lebanon Baptist Church, do you follow Paul? But it's nice that we not only have Paul's example that's inscripturated that you and I can go back to every day that we go back to Philippians in our Bible reading, but Paul also commands them to have a pattern in a, you could say, a more diverse way. He says you can, you have other patterns. Look what he says at the end of verse 17. I'll read the whole verse. Brothers, join in imitating me. But then he says, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. So what he's saying is this, I want you to focus your eyes on certain people. Did you know that where you focus your eyes is oftentimes the direction you're going to go? Remember when I was first learning how to mow a lawn, and if I had a big lawn to mow, if I wanted to mow a straight lawn, what I had to do was I didn't want to just look right in front of me. I had to pick an object on the far end of the field that was where I wanted to go, and I had to focus on it. And if I kept my eyes way off in the distance, I would mow a straight line. However, if I'm mowing and I'm looking over here, I'm going to do a really long curve, Okay. What Paul is saying is this, I want you to keep your eyes on something. I want you to keep your eyes on certain people who are following the pattern or the example. And did you notice he says that you have in us. And so what Paul just did was he expanded, not from his own testimony, But he had already given an example of Timothy and Epaphroditus, and he's talking about some of the people that had ministered to the Philippians in the past. He says, Philippi, if you're going to make it, you're going to have to join in imitating me, but also you're going to have to place as a pattern of your life and a focus in your sights people who are following Christ as you saw Timothy and Epaphras and myself live. You've got to do that. Paul wants them to put godly examples in their focus. And did you notice that little word, walk, those who walk a certain way? And the idea there was this, that their lifestyle was such that was following what Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul lived out to be. So one way to live out your faith properly is to imitate others whose lives are being lived out with their focus on Jesus Christ. Do you know any people? Do you know anybody right now who is passionately pursuing Christ? Let's say if you don't know anybody, then you can at least look at the Bible and you can look at Paul and you can look at it in Scripture. 
But another way to do that is by spending time with believers who are passionately pursuing Christ and learn from them. Get with people who know Christ. How do you do that? You'd say, how do I get in with people who, the spiritual ones who are pursuing Christ? Let me tell you the best way to do it is you start serving them. Start loving them and investing in them. As you begin to start, and no doubt, if they have a heart for Jesus, the moment you start investing in them, guess what they're going to start doing to you? Investing in you. You got to find people who are passionately pursuing Christ, and you need to get your t- get time with them. You just need to start rubbing shoulders with them. And, and honestly, you're in the great place to do that because that's what the church is. The church should be made up of people who are passionately pursuing Christ, and your job is to get time with them and get your eyes on people who are pursuing Christ with all their heart. And, and basically, what you you need to be saying through your life is this: Teach me. Teach me. Teach me more. Teach me how to deal with fear. Teach me how to deal with anxiety. Teach me how to deal with depression. Teach me how to follow Jesus more passionately and more lovingly. And I'll tell you this, you are never too old to learn. Those of you who have already hit your 80s, let me say, all of you probably know, the older I've got, the more I've realized how much I need help. And just because you're in the, your 80s doesn't need, you need pattern, you don't need patterns in your life. You do. You need to find other people. I've, I've learned very quickly that sometimes I can look older than me for people who are patterns, but oftentimes I can look for people younger than me who are passionately pursuing Christ and they help me immensely. And you need to do the same. Get your eyes on some people who are passionately pursuing Christ. That's what Paul says. He says, I want you to focus your eyes on those who walk according to the pattern of Timothy and Epaphroditus and me. I remember when I was in school, one of the, uh, one of the ways I first started growing in Christ, I remember when I was in sixth grade, one of my uh, daycare workers, as I stayed for daycare, his name was Mike. And Mike just, he loved God with all his heart and he just... I love being with him. I remember playing soccer on the field with him, and I began to develop a relationship with him that ended up lasting till today. He was a college student. I was a sixth grader. But as I started putting my, him in my focus and saying, man, I want to live for God like Mike. I want to be like Mike, okay? And it does something to you. How do you survive in a world like today? You need to learn from other citizens of heaven. Heaven, get patterns, okay? But also those of you who are pursuing Christ, you need to make your life accessible to other people. So many of you who maybe I, I pursued Christ and you have a lot of godly friends and you've had godly friends for a long time and you can get into your little clique, your holy huddle and just live there. You need to learn how to expand that holy huddle and get to know other people who are trying to live like citizens of heaven. And in fact, maybe one of the ways you've stunted your growth is because you've just lived in your own little clique for so long and you need some of the spiritual gifts that are found in other people. 
So, I mean, that means that some of you on this side of the room, okay, you may have to, okay, go on a mission trip at some point and sit on this side of the room. Okay? In vain, if you need to earn support, go on deputation, we can help you get there. And some of you need to move around so you get to know the back of other people's heads. Okay? Okay. You got to get to know other people. And you've got to learn and find people who are pursuing God. And if you're pursuing God, make your life accessible. Get to know other people. And if you're wondering where to go, you'd say, how do I even get in? Well, I'll tell you this. You can get in by just loving people. Okay. I remember when I was a youth pastor, uh, someone saying, people love people who love their kids. I mean, I found that so true. Uh, Love the kids in this church. Invest in them. Be a pattern for them. And you know what? You'll develop relationships that you never knew you could have. Okay, I'm getting (laughs) getting off topic, but let me just say, One way to live like citizens of heaven while you're still in the kingdoms of men is there is a pattern of living that you need to follow. And you need to get people like that in your focus and follow hard after them. And learn to be the right example. I was challenged this week. I was talking to a young man in our church who basically wanted to be the right type of pattern. So he says, you know what I started to do at my house? I started to use a hard copy Bible when I had my devotions. Say, why why do you do that? Because I want my kids to not think that I'm just reading my phone or surfing online. I want them to see me in the Bible. I want them to catch that vision of my dad, of me being in the Word. Be an example. Find examples. Set them in your sights. Number two, here's the second way you can live like citizens of heaven while you're still in the kingdoms of men. There is a path of destruction that you are to avoid and be careful with. Just like you're supposed to keep your eyes on people who have the right type of pattern, he says you better watch out for those who have the wrong type of pattern. And that's found in verse 18. He says here, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So notice, first of all, that there are many of these people. Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be that shall go in thereat. But narrow is the gate that leadeth unto life. And there will be a whole lot more of bad examples out there for you to look at and to follow. So, he warns them to be careful of these people. He had done this before in the letter. Now, who's he talking about here? Who are particularly the ones that he's warning against? He could be warning against a group of people that I told you a number of weeks ago were the Judaizers. We find them in chapter 3, verse 3. They were the ones who were adding to their salvation, their own resume. They believed in Jesus, but they said, in order for you to get saved, you need to believe in Jesus, and you need to do all of these things. And ultimately, they perverted the gospel And mixed up the gospel. Yes, we do good things not to earn his salvation. We do things because we have been given salvation. But these Judaizers were adding to Jesus. He could be warning them against those people. Or really, he could just be warning them about the pagans that lived all through Philippi. I mean, imagine living in this town 
that had no Christian influence up to this, the, the decade before. They were pagans, and there were many of them who were just living for their own flesh. We don't know whether he's talking about the Judaizers or whether he's talking about the pagans, but notice Paul is warning them with what? With tears. I don't know if you have ever written a letter and you've stained your letter with tears. Here's Paul writing this book of Philippians, and isn't it neat? Can you imagine if you were able to see the scroll? He wrote the letter with tears. Now, who was he tearful about? Was it for the unsaved? Possibly, because he said he, was, he could wish himself to be a curse from Christ, that the people who didn't know Christ would come. So he had a heart for them. It could have been that he was very burdened about this church, and he didn't want them to go astray and get caught into false doctrine. I don't know why he's tearful here. Either one you can choose. But here is a guy whose heart was a beautiful example again of what it means to live out the gospel in a pagan world. He had a heart for others. Notice he says, watch out for those who walk. That word walk is in the previous verse and in this verse, which shows you that there's two paths that you can go. You can follow the path of those who are passionately pursuing Christ, who walk according to this lifestyle, or you can choose to follow those who walk in another manner. All of my teenagers here, all of my young people, many of you are at crossroads in your life, and you're going to decide who are going to be your idols in life, who are you going to make, uh, who are you going to put kind of as your focus. I hope that you will decide that nothing is more important than Jesus and that you will choose that path because it's the only path. The other path leads to destruction as we'll find out. So here's this group who Paul warns against. He also calls them the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, why did he put it this way? Well, in the previous chapter... He called them, the church, to adopt the mindset of Jesus who in fact humbled himself and went to the cross. In this chapter, he says, it's all these other people who are the enemies of that. They are proud and they are lifted up with themselves. And what he does in the next verse is he gives four characteristics of them. Look what he says in verse 19. If you want to identify what these people are like, let me tell you what they're like. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So what are their characteristics? They're all headed to hell. They're headed to hell. Their end is destruction. Not only that, they live for their sinful appetites. When he says their their God is their belly, our stomach or our belly kind of illustrates our fleshly desires. It growls. And the idea here is that these people live for their own fleshly desires, whether it was gluttony or drunkenness or sex or their, their lust for fame or for self. These people had made their own fleshly passions their God. I want to live for me. So their end is destruction. They live for their selfish 
and sinful appetites, they glory in their shame. What that means is this, they're proud of the sin that they're involved in that should bring them shame. I mean, don't we have a culture that way? I mean, what did God do when Adam and Eve sinned? He covered their sinfulness, even with clothes. And we live in a society that, you know what, we uncover ourselves. The pornography industry that's become, you know what, very much of the boast. We glory in ourselves. We glory in our shame, things that should be shameful for us to do. They're proud of their own sin. Their passions were their God. In fact, Romans 16 talks a little bit about this. It says, Paul's writing to the Romans and he says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine which has been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve the Lord Jesus, but their own what? Their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. They glory in their shame. They're proud of that sin. Romans chapter 1 verse 32 says this. This is what they do. Though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. The idea here is this, that they start to give themselves to sin and they turn from God's commands And as a result of turning from God's commands, God gives them over to their own sinfulness, and they finally get a point where they do this. They glory in their own sinfulness. They have sexual pride. They have pride, and you just name all the characteristics that the humans who leave God on the doorstep and go their own way, they become prideful, and their glory is really what they should be shameful about. And then finally, they do this. They mind earthly things. They adopt the mindset of earth, and they live for this world. They live for the here and now. This is all there is. Lebanon Baptist Church, realize as you and I live out our faith in the culture that we live in, realize that there's a path and a pattern to follow, and it's laid out for those who are following Jesus. But there is also a path to avoid Don't get envious of the wicked. Don't get them in your sights. Weep for them as the apostle Paul does. But beware of the current that could take you away. You ought to be very susceptible. That's why constantly in this letter, right at the beginning, chapter 1, he warns you about it. Beginning of chapter 3, he warns you about it. And here at the end of chapter 3, he warns you about it today. If you are not on guard right now, In reference to living your spiritual life for the kingdom of heaven, you better be because there are people who are going to pull you astray. So get get in your focus those who are walking with Christ. So we saw, number one, there's a pattern of living to follow. Number two, there's a path of destruction to avoid. Number three, there's a paradigm of thinking for you to adopt. Paul now reminds them of why they ought to live the way that he's just expressed. He reiterates here that their true citizenship is really in heaven. Now, this group of people who Paul's writing to would have been keenly aware of citizenship. 
I've told you and I've explained to you, in the ancient world that this church was founded in, Rome was king. Rome was Caesar. And Rome, every once in a while, would start a colony. And Philippi happened to be one of those little church plants, you could say. Their little colony that they had started. And because it was a colony, anybody who was born there and kind of lived there had a beautiful privilege. And that was this, you became a Roman citizen. And so the Philippians would have prided themselves on being a part of the greatest country at their day and age, they thought. And all the rights and privileges of being a Roman citizen. So that was their little badge. But here he says, don't be bragging about that badge. Because you have a much more important badge. Your true citizenship is in heaven. That's your true identity. It ought to be an identity in which you value above all things. And you live your life according to that new status. It was on May 15th, 1999, that Jen and I were married. I have a wedding ring to prove it and to symbolize it. It reminds me of that commitment that I made many years ago. However, Jen and I are not with each other all the time, even though I'd love to be with her as much as I can. We have lives to live, and so often we are separated. I'm here, she's there, we're running kids different places. However, I have to live, because of that commitment, with that reality of her being my wife all the time. That should motivate me, number one, to be pure in my thoughts, to be committed in my relationship, and really to make my decisions and all that I do in reference to her because she is one with me. That's a reality I live in. I have kind of like a citizenship of Jen. Did you know that all of us have a much greater reality that should affect everything we do in life? And that's this, you are united with Christ. It was symbolized by your baptism. And that united nature with Christ should affect everything you do, just like every hour of the day should be affected by my relationship that I've made a commitment to Jen, even more so, everything I do is in relation to my citizenship that is now in heaven. It defines me most significantly. It affects every decision that I make. It's the most real reality. And that's what living by faith is. Living by faith is living by that heavenly reality. Even though you never have seen Jesus, you've never touched Jesus, you believe he's died, he's risen, he's your savior, he's coming again. You can sing one day when I get to heaven because you believe it from the depths of your being and you live according to that. You make all your decisions according to that. That's your life. That means you invest there, not here. That citizenship comes with an anticipation. What is that anticipation? Look what the verse says, okay? He says in verse uh, 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. They were awaiting a Savior, and, and Philippi, who was supposed to be their Savior? Caesar. 
It was almost like he replaced it. You're waiting instead, not for Caesar, you're waiting for Jesus Christ. What that means for you and me is we ought to live with this whole new mindset. It's a heavenly mindset. You know, when, when you know the company's coming, there's probably a lot of things you do around the house because you're preparing for the company to come. There's extra things you do. There's a mindset that you're in because someone's going to be at the door really soon. Those of you who have a heavenly mindset, you understand that there is company coming and he's going to come back soon. And you are preparing for that arrival. And what will he do at that moment? Listen to what 21 says. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What will he do at that moment? He will transform all of your broken bodies and he will make them into the image of his glorious resurrected body. What a promise. You know what? I'm middle-aged now, okay? I'm middle-aged, but I can tell you, I feel even being middle-aged. Some of you are in your 70s and 80s, you're like, you haven't seen nothing yet, okay? But I can feel our bodies are breaking down. The outward man is what? Is perishing. But those of you who have a heavenly mindset and understand that your citizenship is in heaven, you are awaiting a Savior who's going to come. And what is he going to do when he comes? He is going to transform your bodies. Those minds that are broken, those bodies that are broken, the logic that you thought you should have, it's not there. Even your brokenness somewhat spiritually of just trying to pursue the things of Christ and you're, you're still caught in the remnants of the old man, one day he's going to take your entire being and he's going to fashion it like unto his sons. How will he do this? He will do this with the power that he uses to subject all things to himself. Did you know that everything that holds together, even right now, all the atoms in this whole world and the stars in their places, the earth hanging on nothing. How is it all being held together? It's being held by his divine sovereign hand. The God who is subjecting all things to himself, he has the power to basically take your bodies and fashion them like his and give you an eternal home with him in heaven. If you are a follower of Jesus, and if you are going to survive in this secular world, that has to be your mindset. You've got to have to have a heavenly mindset that's evident to those around you. Do you live with your eternal citizenship, something that you encourage yourself with? Are you expectantly waiting Jesus, or is this life all there is? Those of us who desire to live together for the gospel must adopt this new paradigm. We ought to be so heavenly minded, like what one people said, if you're you're too heavenly minded, you'll be of no earthly good. I submit to you that to be heavenly minded is the only way you will be any of earthly good. 
You've got to do this. Those who desire to live together for the gospel must adopt a heavenly mindset. That's why Colossians chapter 3 says this. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ. If you in this room have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. That means put all your affection on eternal things. Seek the things that are above. Where? Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He says all of this. You've got to think this way. You've got to get up each morning. And say, you know what? Really, positionally, you know where I'm at? According to Ephesians, I live in the heavenlies. I am in Christ. I have died to sin. Yes, I live in the remnants of this old man, but my focus is going to be on Jesus and what he is and what he has done. I need to fill my life with all that his graciousness has done. I need to know him better. I need to pursue him. And when your mind is focused on that, yes, you will be tempted by other things. But you remember Peter? When did he start to sink? When he was on the Sea of Galilee. When he took his eyes off who? He took his eyes off the Lord. Depression and fear are byproducts of living earthly. We all have it. It's byproducts of living our mind so focused on this earth. We must learn to focus on eternity. And the final thing I want you to see in our last verse is there is a persistent dependence to embrace. And that's what he gives at the beginning of chapter 4. Paul ends with a final command. And this final command is surrounded by tons of affection for them. Look what he says in verse 1. He says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Did you catch in that verse, he calls them brothers. He uses the word love. He uses the only time it's ever used in your Bible, long for. It's this complex word, I long for you. He uses joy. He uses you're my crown. He uses you're my beloved. But in the midst of all these affectionate words, he calls them to do this, stand firm. You remember he did this earlier in chapter 1. Remember in chapter 1, the verse I showed you at the beginning of the message? Only let your manner of uh, life be worthy of the gospel, so whether I come and see you or am absent, that I may hear that you what? Are standing firm in one spirit. Well, here he does it again. And the idea here is this. Standing firm means to dig in your heels and endure the hardness that is all around you, in the midst of all this opposition, don't give up. Don't give in. Keep living for Christ. Now, how do you do this? You stand firm in the what? In the Lord. I'm glad he adds that little phrase. Because guess what? If you stand on your own two feet and by yourself, you're in trouble. But if you stand firm in the Lord, remember what he's done for you and that he's with you every moment. All of God's great men, Hudson Taylor said, have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on him being with them. They counted on his faithfulness. 
He is the one who will provide you the strength and the enablement. How do I endure through all of this? Well, remember the channels of grace. His word will continue to give you help and to endure. His word is a lamp into your feet and a light into your path. Prayer. You go to him. God, I'm having a really hard time with this. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge or know him, and he will direct your paths. He will do this. And then another channel of grace. How do you endure in the midst of all this? You got these people here. I can't tell you, Lebanon Baptist Church, the resource that you have here, if you will just access it. It's sad so often that God's people, when they need help, they go outside the body of Christ. So often, People are like, where where do I go to get help for this? I can go to this person or this person. And oftentimes when people say, do we have anyone who can help? I'd say, look in your church. Honestly, probably every problem that this church has, somebody else in this church has had to deal with. And they've had to work their way through it. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. If there's any place that you ought to look for help, it's in this body. Now, some of us, we're really prideful. We don't want anyone to know that we have problems. But face it, we all have problems. We all have anxiety. We all have fear. We all have sexual sins and different temptations. We're all up against it. We all deal with problems. So what do you do? The Bible says, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Having other righteous people that can come alongside of you and help you and serve you and help you to stand firm. God's people, this is what they're there for. What does this look like today? It means this. If you and I are going to stand for God in the midst of this tyrant, Satan who's tried to take control. How are we going to do this? We got to develop the right rhythms. We need his word. We need fellowship. We need his people. We need to give ourselves to his service. And we need to stick with it over a long period of time. I couldn't help but think of a couple who did this by the name of Aquila and Priscilla in your Bible. You read about Aquila and Priscilla, a husband and wife team who came to Christ during Paul's first missionary journey, and we're kind of introduced to them in kind of A.D. 50, 51, 52. We're introduced to them in Corinth. It's really interesting. You read a little bit about them, but in Paul's final letter in 2 Timothy, all he does is he just, at the end of the letter, just greets people. And he greets Priscilla and Aquila. And what it just tells me is this. Here's a couple... And this was now, probably 20 years later, who are still serving the Lord and have sunk their heels in the ground and they're persevering under hard times. And I think that's what Paul's saying here. He says, Philippians, stand firm. And you do this 
through all of these other, you could say, exhortations and truths. So Lebanon Baptist Church, we've seen how to live together for the gospel in the midst of a secular world. We have patterns to follow. We have a path to avoid. We have a paradigm to adopt. And we have a persistent dependence that we need to embrace. You and I, we've died with Christ and we've been risen with him. You are positionally, like I said earlier, you are in the heavenlies. You you and I are just one step. The final part of our salvation is at hand when he returns. But what are we supposed to do until then? We are to stand firm as citizens of heaven while we still live in Roswell, Georgia. And we do that together, helping each other to do that, being the right examples and following hard after him. May God help us to do this. Thank you for listening to Treasuring Scripture. It's our desire that every Christian treasure God's word in their heart. To follow our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit LebanonBaptist.org.